0: John, I, I, I'm going to ask John to come up. Um, it's good to, to, to know a bit more about our speakers uh, before they, they share with us. I've just got a, a few questions, if you don't mind. Um, so could you tell us a bit about yourself, uh, where you live and what you do? Uh, so I live in
1: Greenwich uh, on the south bank of the Thames, the safe side of the Thames. <laughs> um, beautiful. It's a, it's a village. Uh, surrounded by the Sea of London. Uh, It's idyllic, except for the commuting in the morning, which is a chore.
0: (laughs) Um, And on a Sunday, where would you normally go to church?
1: So I'm part of a new church plan. It's about just under three years old. Grace Church Greenwich, it meets in the university. We have church at a 45-degree angle because of the raked seating. Um, It's great. It's young and enthusiastic. It's multicultural. And being in Greenwich, it's incredibly soporifically middle class.
0: (laughs) Um, now you work for Proc Trust. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about Proc Trust And, um, and, and what, what you do for ProcTrust So the Proclamation Trust is the definitive one
1: trick pony uh, We do one thing We try and help people read, understand And handle the Bible well So they can communicate it to others clearly My particular role is I'm in charge of all the conferences I'm in charge of all the books uh, And in my spare time I help out at Cornhill as well
0: Brilliant. Um, And slightly pointing out the elephant in the room, could you tell us a bit about your voice as well?
1: Yeah, so my voice doesn't sound particularly normal. You're all picking that up. When I was uh, two years old, uh, I got this terrible virus that tends to kill people. Um, Thankfully, in God's uh, sovereign care, uh, the world expert in the particular virus I had had just moved from Cape Town in South Africa to my local hospital in Winchester where I grew up, underwent a series uh, of about 13 massive operations. Uh, This was in the early 80s, where there was just the advent of the laser. And uh, it all went really well, Uh, except instead of having two independently oscillating vocal cords, they just clipped the bottom of one. These were the early days of the laser. And uh, so my vocal cords are joined slightly at the bottom, which means my voice is not as clear as clear as it could be but it does mean I never have to tell people who I am on the phone. (laughs) And I think it's an amazing thing. So uh, we read in 1 Corinthians uh, that God chooses the weak things to shame the strong and the things that are not to shame the things that are really mighty. And I think of all the people in all the world who could uh, have a ministry of speaking publicly to groups of people, I would not even be uh, on the first 25 pages of people that could do that. uh so i consider it a great privilege uh and it's a great joy even though it is terrifying as ever
0: <laughs> john it's a real pleasure, uh, privilege uh for, for you to be here um, i'm going to read the bible um and uh, it's 1 corinthians chapter 15 um and then i'll pray for you and then uh, if you could share uh, your thoughts on this passage that would be that'd be a joy so it's 1 corinthians chapter 15 verse 35 um it's page 1156 in the church bibles if you need a bible please do do put your hand up we've got a, a steward who who could bring you one brilliant so let me read from 1 corinthians chapter 15 it's about the resurrection body but someone may ask how are the dead raised with what kind of body will they come how foolish What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body, as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the stars differ from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable and it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, and the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will will not all sleep, but we will all be changed, not in a flash, sorry, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray together. Father God, we worship you this morning for your word. We worship you that your method of us understanding your word is that you give us people to share and explain it to us. Father, bless John now as he explains your word. And bless us as we hear it, Father God. Open our minds and our hearts to the reality of the future glory that is to come. Lord, may we be joyfully blessed this morning as we understand more of this wonderful truth in your word. Bless us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
1: Well, I thought we'd play a little game this morning. Uh, It's quite a simple game. It's called Brick or Balloon. to ask you some questions and I need you to choose either a brick or a balloon. Question number one, which item would be better for a game of volleyball? Balloon. Question number two, which object would be better for a paperweight? Very clever in catering. Which object would be better suited for a children's birthday party? (laughs) Because of health and safety, I'll say balloon. (laughs) Question number four. Which object better symbolizes your future in the new creation if you are a Christian? Brick or balloon? If you ask that question, in the middle of the first century in the city of Corinth, the whole church would have said together the balloon. Because in the first century in Corinth, they thought the future was floaty. They thought it was spiritual. They thought it wasn't about physical solidity. They thought it was about ethereal floatiness. Seems the church has been totally infected from the rest of the letter by the surrounding Platonic dualism. That would say bodies are bad and spirit is good. Body is bad, spirit is good. They would say the future is floaty. Everything that lies before you isn't this tainted body, with all its decay and corruption, the future is floaty and spiritual. Let's be honest, our culture isn't that much different. If you go on the streets of Caterham today, you'll struggle to find a hardline materialist that when you say, what happens when you die? They say, well, it's four feet under, worms, decomposition, being absorbed back into the earth only to fertilize the next plant tree. Most people wouldn't say that. They would say it's about clouds and harps, being slightly chubbier than you are now. It's about lying around on clouds. It's all very floaty and nice. Paul wants to say to us very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15 that the future is not floaty, the future is absolutely solid. The future is even more solid than the solidity of this world in this old creation. In large parts, 1 Corinthians has been about bodies. Chapters 5 to 7 have been about bodies and sexual purity. Chapters 8 to 11 have been about bodies and eating and drinking, particularly eating meat and what that says. And then uh, chapters 12 to 14 have been about bodies as a metaphor for how the church Fits and functions together. And now, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we come to the absolute zenith of the letter, and Paul wants to say the future is solid, resurrection life is solid. Do you know what? I broke one of the. He said he wants to pop any conception in the Corinthians' minds. That the future is floaty. He wants to say that it is absolutely solid and certain. 1 Corinthians began by looking at the cross in chapters 1 to 4. It ends in 1 Corinthians 15, looking at the resurrection, and chapters 5 to 14 are all about living in the present. You see, it is a very cross shaped, resurrection fueled letter. Paul wants to say it's very clear. This is an abstract speculation of a theological nature about the future. Actually, what you think about what happens then impacts how you live now. What you think about what the future is like has a direct impact on how you live in this life. So look with me at 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58, where we finished. Do you see what Paul says? Therefore... He says, on account of all that we've said in 1 Corinthians 15 and the whole letter, as a result of everything that we've looked at together, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you see? Paul says we've looked at the resurrection and what it looks like. And he says, therefore, because of all of that, this is how you're to live now. Thoughts about then impact behavior now. What you believe about the future, what is true about resurrection life, has a massive impact on how you live now. Now we're breaking in near the end of the, the chapter. There's already been 34 glorious resurrection verses. So let me bring you up to speed. Verses 1 to 19 of chapter 15 says this, the big message is that Jesus really rose. Jesus, who really died according to the scriptures, who was really buried in the ground for three days, he really rose to real life. He goes on to explain that if you give up the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus, everything starts to unravel. If Jesus didn't rise, your preaching is in vain, your faith is futile, the apostles are liars, there's no forgiveness of sins, there's no hope in the present, there's no eternal life, and you are pitiable. That seems quite a high price to pay for giving up on a bodily resurrection. Then he goes on to say in verses 20 20 to 34, because Jesus really rose, you will also really rise. You will certainly rise. Your body, like his laid in the ground, will raise to new life. See the repetition in uh, that section 20 to 34. The word first fruits." The word first fruits" mean that the rest is like this, but this is the first one of many. There's many more resurrections from the ground that are happening. Look at verse 23 with me. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Because Jesus really rose, when Jesus really comes back, you, if you're trusting him, will really rise. Then in our section 35 to 58, here's the big message. If the hour, getting up an hour earlier is affecting you, then just hold on to this. This is the big place we're going. Jesus really rose, you will really rise. Here's what our section brings, with better death-defeating bodies. That's what Paul wants to hammer home to us. See how this is introduced in verse 35? But someone will ask, how were the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Paul is debating with an imaginary Corinthian detractor. The Corinthians thought that the resurrection of dead bodies was absolutely gross. They thought it was unseemly. They thought it was absolutely ridiculous. And so Paul is having this imaginary debate with a caricature of a Corinthian. And Paul's response, you foolish person, you absolute moron. Paul then goes on to explain two massive truths about this resurrection body. He says, These bodies will be better bodies and they'll be death defeating bodies. So look with me at 36 to 49 and see that they're better bodies. You will rise with a better body. See where we end in verse 49 at the end of the argument. Just as we shall be, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust we shall also bear the image of the man from heaven. That's where we're ending up. Jesus' resurrection body is the perfect prototype of our resurrection body. Paul says resurrection bodies are not gross, they are glorious. It's not something to dread, it's something to look forward to. It's not something to produce vomit when you think about it, it's something to produce volumes of praise. And so to demonstrate this, he opens a GCSE science textbook. And the first thing he does is he turns to botany, the study of plants. Verses 36 to 38, he points to plants and he says, think about the plants. Amazing transformations happen even in this old creation. Think about a seed sown in the ground. It looks so useless and small and fragile. The seed that is sown doesn't bear much resemblance to the plant that springs out of the ground. If you need a visual um, demonstration of this, these plants did not look like this when the garden center planted them. They might look more like seeds after you've had them for a week and not uh, watered them and they've all shriveled and died and turned back to compost. But a seed is amazingly transformed once it's sown in the ground to become this awesome plant. It's true for the wheat seed and the wheat sheaf. It's true about the little acorn and the massive oak tree. It's true about the Canadian redwood seed that grows to a 70-foot monster. Seeds don't look much like plants. And Paul says, well... Your body sown in the ground is not going to look much like what has been raised. Amazing transformations are already visible in the old creation. Why then is it such a stretch for you Corinthians to think about a body sown in the ground becoming this glorious thing, amazingly transformed in the future? As with the seed, so with the resurrection body is Paul's argument and having done some botany he turns to zoology oh that was an acorn in case you didn't know what that looked like he turns to zoology look at verses 39 to 40 for not all flesh is the same but there is one kind for humans another for animals another for birds and another for fish he points out that even in the old creation animals have bodies appropriate for their habitation That's why monkeys don't have flippers, fish don't have feathers, birds don't have gills, amoebas don't have horns, and humans don't have scales. Most humans don't have scales. Do you see how God in his wisdom, in his creative genius, is able to give people bodies perfectly suited for where they live? God has organized the old creation perfectly each creature according to its kind over the days of creation. He says then, Corinthians, why then? Is it such a stretch to trust that this creator God who did it in the beginning with the power of his voice can do it again to give you a body perfectly suited for your habitation in the new creation? There are definitely earthly bodies, but there are also Heavenly bodies and they vary in splendor. Think of Jesus' resurrection body as the perfect prototype of all that is before us. There are similarities to his body before his crucifixion, but there were also many differences. He is recognized, he has scars, he eats bread, he eats fish. Similar. But also very different. He disappears. He enters locked rooms. He pops up amidst very full gatherings. Some things are the same. Some things are different. The perfect prototype of resurrection body. Jesus' resurrection body conquered death. Never to die again. And that is the mold. That is the print of all that lies before us in the future. Paul keeps turning in his science textbook and he comes to cosmology. He says, look up into the stars. There's varying glory among the celestial bodies. They're organized and they're ordered with varying glory. Stars don't look all the same. Some stars shine brightly. Some stars shine dimly. The sun is not like the moon. That's why we can sleep at night. Different perfectly ordered, everything in its right place, everything suited for its job in the entire cosmos of declaring God's glory day and night. Paul says, Corinthians, this is not difficult science for you. Look at the plants, look at the animals, look at the stars. God is all over his old creation. He'll be all over his new creation. Resurrection bodies won't be gross. They will be glorious. brings us to the answer with what kind of bodies will be raised well there'll be different bodies but paul goes on to say that they are better bodies look at verses 42 to 44 and he does some anatomy some future anatomy it's these pairs of words that are totally opposite what is sown perishable what is sown is perishable what is raised is imperishable Total difference. So I looked at the mirror this morning, an hour earlier than I would normally look at the mirror, it transpires. And I was shocked as I looked into the mirror, I saw my dad staring back at me. Because as we get older, decay creeps in, perishability starts to infuse every bit of our creation, bits start falling off, bits start getting south, and the amount you have to spend on hair and makeup goes through the roof. Paul says that won't be the case in the new creation. Perishable, raised imperishable. Dishonor, all the embarrassment of bodies, raised glorious, with nothing to be shamed about. Weakness versus power. So I've started going to the gym. I know it doesn't look like it. I'm not a regular attender. Some of the people in the gym are ferocious. But I wish that when you went to a gym, you had one of those curtains you could pull around like in a hospital and I could just work out without feeling totally out of my depth. There's one guy particular. I'm not even sure he's human. He might be a rhinoceros in disguise. He pulls the most incredible weights. I find it tiring just to look at them, let alone ever having to lift them. He does this and then he looks in the mirror and I mean his bicep fills the whole mirror. In the new creation, he is strong in this creation. In the new creation, he will be a weakling. He will be like the guy off the Mr. Muscle advert. Puny and laughable. Weakness. Raised in power. And then see the last set. Natural versus spiritual. Now, this isn't saying what you think it's saying. This is not exactly making the point between uh, floaty and solid. The point here is, it's very difficult Greek, but it says the body now is a soulish body. It's a body where there's a war going on between your uh, natural nature and God's spirit. And it's all kind of compromised and it's all kind of messy. Paul is saying that in the future it will be a spirit-empowered body. It will be a spirit-fueled body. It will be a body where the work of the Holy Spirit has been utterly massaged into every area of who you are. It will be a spirit-fueled body, like Jesus' resurrection body. That, friends, an imperishable, glorious, powerful spirit body is a better body than what you're sitting on now. It is a better body, amazingly transformed, perfectly suited to the new creation, a little bit like Adam, but a lot like the risen Lord Jesus. And you're all thinking, that's nice, but I've got 99 problems right now and my resurrection body ain't one, to quote Jay-Z. What difference does it make? Why should I care about that now? Well, let me tell you about my summer. I went to Belgium. I was working for a church in Brussels for six weeks. If you've ever been to Brussels, it's nice, probably go soon because we might not be able to do it so easily in the future. Brussels is very infamous for pickpockets. And so me being quite a suspicious type, I took two phones. I took my iPhone X, which I love way too much. And I took my Nokia 1100, which I first had in 2003. My iPhone X stayed in my house, locked up, disguised in a bookcase. My Nokia, I would leave it on the train, I would have it next to me. It wasn't that precious to me, useful, I was thankful for it. I had to text using the 123456789, that's impossible. It was a spare phone. I had an iPhone and I had a Nokia and I loved the iPhone and I longed to get back to where I could use the internet and things. And I didn't, I was thankful for the Nokia, but I wasn't that bothered. Friends, if what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 is true, then this is your Nokia 1100 life. It's a spare. You're thankful for it. You're grateful for it, it's useful to you, God has given it to you so you can glorify him, but it is your spare body. This is not the way it always will be. We are Nokia 1100s now for a little while, we will be iPhone X's or iPhone X on steroids forever in the future. But our problem is we treat this life like it's our iPhone life. And we treasure it and we care for it and we lock it up and we try to make it better. The truth is, friends, it's a knockier life. It's an absolute spare. Our culture tells us YOLO, which for anyone over 25 is, you only live once. That's what our culture tells us. You've got this one life, get as much pleasure, experience, wealth, status, reputation. Because when it's gone, it's gone. Don't waste it. This is your iPhone life. You only live it once. That means have as much sex with as many people as you can. Get as much possessions as you humanly can. Go for fame, reputation. Be all about you because you've got three score years and ten and when it's gone, it's gone. And Paul says that's a total lie. This is a Nokia life. And it's only when we see it as a Nokia life will we ever sacrifice, will we ever serve the Lord Jesus, will we ever risk everything for Him. If we know that this is just the national anthem before the kickoff of real life in the future, we'll be all kinds of precious and our roots will go way too deep in this world. Paul says because of 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 of everything we know about the future, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Let me think about what this looks like for you. Imagine you're 22 years old. For some people, that's in the future. For many of us, it's in the past. You've just graduated uni. You've got a great job in a big firm with loads of prospects. And you've got two options. Blend in or stand out. Let's do a bit of prospecting of what that will look like. Option one, you blend in. You just keep your head down, keep your faith in the Lord Jesus on the down low. Option two, you stand out. You make much of the Lord Jesus, you love your friends, you try to read the Bible with them, you do as much evangelism as you can, you share life with them. This is what it looks like. Five years down the line, blend in. He's got on he's been promoted twice he's a team leader his salary's doubled he's got a lovely sports car in the garage stand out he's been overlooked for promotion twice he's considered a bit annoying he's a bit too nice for the corporate world he's a bit too honest and he has way too long a lunch breaks reading the bible with his colleagues to ever be in a management position. 20 years down the line, well, blend in. he's a director, huge salary, holiday home, knows all the right people, moves in all the right circles, and plays golf in places where there's no chance of it raining. Standout guy, well, he's moved up, but not that far. He declined a promotion to have uh, more time to spend at church, and he's really mastered the staycation with his family. Fast forward 50 years down the line, Blendin draws a massive pension, splits his time between the Caribbean, the UK, and Tenerife. He funds all his grandchildren through private school and has loads of hobbies. Standout is fully plugged in at church, he draws a moderate, moderate pension and is comfortable as long as he is careful. Fast forward 100 years down the line, Blendin utterly crushed by the vanity of the life that he lived. It's all resulted in nothingness. He died at the top and all the chess pieces went back in the same box and counted for nothing in the light of eternity. Stand out in a hundred years' time, rejoices unceasingly in God's kindness to him in using him to bring many people to saving faith in the Lord Jesus, to enjoy God forever. And that joy, friends in that iPhone life, doesn't diminish 10,000 years down the line, 100,000 years down the line, into all of eternity. What we think about then massively impacts what we do now. Friends, this is the Nokia life, the spare life. It absolutely is. And knowing that will immunise us from letting our roots go down too deep. It'll stop us investing too heavily in this world, because this is not our world. Our world is a better world with better bodies. That's 35 to 49 now. Very quickly, let's look at 50 to 58. They are also death-defeating bodies. When Jesus returns, it is complete instantaneous transformation. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, all will be changed. Trumpet will sound and it's cataclysmic change absolutely everywhere. Raised imperishable, verse 52. Mortal puts on immortality, verse 53. That is quite a claim in Corinth. Corinth is in the shadow of Mount Olympus, where if you're into Greek mythology, that's where the immortals live. Paul is saying the immortals don't live there, the immortals will live here. And when that happens... When all that happens, what does it mean? Well, it's over for death. Death is dead. It's done. Death's tyranny in this world is completely over. Death is vanquished. In fact, for the Christian, it's time to trash talk death. It's time to say to death exactly what Hosea and Isaiah would say. This is how you trash talk death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death... Where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Because of Jesus' resurrection body, because of the hope of your resurrection body, you get to trash talk death in the end. Death that keeps everyone enslaved. Death that keeps everyone looking at this body. When you're raised like Jesus, it's time to trash talk death. It's time to trample over death. Death will be done for. Death will be dead. And at that moment, the victory of Jesus won at the cross will be forever and universally proclaimed. Death, the last enemy, is dead forever, never to sever, steal, or stain creation ever again. The Adamic old creation is completely usurped by the perfect new, eternal creation where death is utterly banished. The scorpion of death has been trampled underfoot and will never plunge its venomous tail into human flesh ever again. See that the law is fulfilled, sin is conquered, and capital punishment no longer hangs over anyone. Friends, Jesus really rose. He really did. And because he really rose, it means if you're trusting in Jesus, you will really rise in a better, death-destroying body three things that this means as we finish. Number one, remember these bodies are not your life forever bodies. These are just Nokia bodies. They are an amazing gift from a good God. Look after them, but know they're temporary. They're but a seed before the oak tree of the future. If you're young, this is important. Don't believe the lie it's not you only live once, you actually live twice. A little bit now and a long time in the future. 70 years you might be around Caterham when this building starts to look a bit shabby and old. You will also look a bit shabby and old. Doesn't matter. It's a your life. Don't be distracted. It's not about superficially what you look like on the surface. It's the deep work that God is doing in your life. That will last forever. If you're middle-aged, don't give up. You think you're just about to finish work and then it will be hammocks and cigars and slippers for the rest of life. Don't believe it. Keep going. There's only one guy who retires in the Bible. He's called a fool. Don't believe it. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Keep sacrificing. Keep abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because it's only that life that will not mean vanity down the line. And if you're old, you are probably the most conscious people in here. It's hard not to look at people when you're saying things like this. If you're old, you're very conscious that you're slowing down. Your body is not what it once was. Well, let this passage fuel you. To say, yes, it will get worse, but then it will get best. And with every passing ache and illness, with every new bit of medicine you have to take, just see it as the last hurdle you have to jump over before perishable is raised imperishable. Dishonor is raised as glory. Weak, raised in power. Natural, raised as spirit-powered Here's number two. My office in London is next to London Bridge. At the end of London Bridge is Guy's Hospital. That means we always hear the sirens of the ambulance. Lots of sirens. And on the back of 1 Corinthians 15 this week, I thought actually churches should have brighter lights, louder sirens and faster cars. Why? Because the paramedics get there on time and they do their work well. Well, the person might live a little bit longer. The Christian gets there, shares the gospel, and it's accepted. That person becomes immortal. That is astonishing. No one else in all the world has words that can make people immortal. And because Jesus is resurrected and you will be resurrected, what a way to spend your life sharing this message to make other people immortal. What a job. If you want something that says this life has not been vain... Just imagine your friends and your colleagues and people in your family whom you've had the privilege of sharing the gospel with. Just imagine sharing eternity with them in better death-destroying bodies. What an opportunity. Let's also be clear, if you're not a Christian here today, then this message of Jesus' resurrection is more important to do something with than phoning the ambulance after you've had a bad accident. Because you find the ambulance after a bad accident, you might live another 20 years. You respond to the Lord Jesus' message of eternal life in faith, you become immortal. There's an urgency to this, that if this is true and it is, it's got to change everything about all of us. Here's the last thing. Don't believe the lie. A life lived for Jesus will never be in vain. A life lived for anything else will always be in vain. And so on Tuesday, the 3rd of January, 1956, Ed, Pete, Jim, Roger and Nate, all in the prime of their life, having given up lucrative prospects, having left loving wives and four of them with younger children, they prayed beside a very small plane on a remote Ecuadorian airstrip. They then sung, We Rest on Thee, Our Shield and Our Defender. And after singing the final verse, they boarded the plane and flew into the remote jungle to reach the Alka Indians with the immortal, the immortalizing news of Jesus Christ. By the end of the weekend, all five men would be dead, having been lanced by the very people that they came to save. And the world looks at that story and they say, what a waste. What a vain pursuit and the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul and the five brothers, they look at that life and they say, no, that is gloriously worth it. To give your spare Nokia life, to give people an opportunity to become immortal, that is not pointless. That is the only purposeful thing in all the world. Friends, if 1 Corinthians 15:58 is true, let us give ourselves to it. Therefore, in light of certain death-destroying bodies in the future, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that this life you have given us is but a shadow of the life to come. Thank you that because of Jesus, we look forward to a day when death will die, when resurrection will happen and new creation will commence. Father God, keep us waiting excitedly for that day. Help us to remember all that is before us because of Christ and let that be the perfect tonic aligning our lives to live Father, help us be those who stand firm. Help us be those who are immovable. Help us be those that are always and forever abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor will never be in vain. By your Spirit, prevent us living lives of eternal vanity. We pray this in the name of our resurrected firstfruits King, Jesus Christ. Amen.